You can take your Bibles and turn to Genesis chapter 5 and Hebrews chapter 11. From one end to the other. But rest assured, I'm not going to preach everything in between. (laughs) Genesis 5 and Hebrews 11. In Genesis chapter 5, you have a, a big genealogy in essence. It's the descendants of Adam. And these were people who lived a very long time. <laughs> Adam lived to be 930, and then he died. Seth lived to be 912, and he died. His son Enosh lived 905 years, and he died. His son Kenan lived uh, 910 years, and he died. And his son, Mahalalel, lived 895 years, and he died. And his son, Jared, lived 962 years, and he died. And then we come to Jared's son, Enoch. And he's the one that I want to preach about today. Enoch is one of the truly mysterious and interesting people in the Bible And really, we know so little about him. There's only about eight or nine verses written about him in the entire Bible. But what those few verses say, I think, speak volumes about his life and as to his character. Enoch, too, was one of those long-lived antediluvians. And if you ask, what is an antediluvian? Well, it simply refers to someone that lived before the flood of Noah. That's an antediluvian. Okay, he lived before the flood, and he's one of these men listed here in Genesis chapter 5 that lived to incredible ages. I mean, and right here in the fifth chapter of Genesis, it, it devotes only 50 to 60 words in describing Enoch. And here's what it says, Genesis 5 verse 21, And Enoch lived 65 years and became the father of Methuselah. Then Enoch walked with God 300 years after he became the father of Methuselah, and he had other sons and daughters. So all the days of Enoch were 365 years, and Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. So we know that Enoch lived over three and a half centuries on this earth. Now let me try to put that into perspective for you. Let's imagine that Enoch died this year, in 2021. That means he would have been born in what year? For you mathematicians working it out in your mind, all right. He would have been born in 1656. Now, anything notable take place in 1656? Well, probably not any huge outstanding events, but... 1656 was the year that Miles Standish, the military advisor for the Plymouth Colony that came over on the Mayflower, that was the year that he died, okay? So when Enoch would have turned 100 years old in 1756, Mozart, the great Austrian composer, was born that year. When Enoch celebrated his second century in 1856, There was an interesting event that took place 
in the Senate chambers of the United States Senate. On May the 22nd of that year, it became a combat zone because in one of the most dramatic and deeply ominous moments in the U.S. Senate's entire history, a member of the House of Representatives entered the Senate chamber and savagely beat a senator into unconsciousness with his walking cane. The caning of Senator Charles Sumner. He was a Massachusetts anti-slavery Republican, and he had addressed the Senate on the explosive issue of whether Kansas should be admitted to the Union as a slave state or a free state. And in his talk, he referenced someone, and a relative of that someone came in and beat him unconscious. By the way, that cane is on display at a museum, I believe, in Boston, Massachusetts. Okay? Now, when Enoch would have turned 300 years old in 1956, Elvis Presley made his first U.S. television appearance as he introduced his new single, He Ain't Nothing But a Hound Dog. All right? He introduced that on the Milton Berle show, and it was quite a scandal because of Elvis' suggestive hip movements, all right? Some people labeled him as Elvis the Pelvis Presley. So, And also that year, though, there was a joint resolution of the United States Congress that was signed by President Dwight D. Eisenhower authorizing In God We Trust as the U.S. national motto, 1956. So finally, then you would come to this year, the year 2021, thinking, you know, Enoch dies this year. Well, the whole world would know of his departure because of social media. Because probably someone would have been present when he disappeared and caught the whole thing on their cell phone, and it would have been on all the news broadcasts and everything else. All right? But stop and think a minute about Enoch's son, Methuselah. Methuselah is the oldest recorded living person that we know of. He lived to be how old? 969, right? Yeah. 969 years. He would have been born thinking of if Enoch died this year in 2021. Enoch was 65 when Methuselah was born, so that would have been the year 1721. And Methuselah wouldn't die until the 27th century in the year 2690. So just trying to give you a little perspective, a little context as to how long these people died. Now, eventually that, those ages, those, those years came down upon man. Uh, Abraham lived to be 175. Jacob was 147. Uh, Joshua was, uh, or Joseph was 110. All right. And, and now if anyone lives to be 100, we think, man, they're 100 years old. If my father would have lived, he would have turned 94 this week, all right, as he was born in 1927. He was a classmate of Edith's there and uh, went to school with her and Winnie Grove and others. So the point of all this is that even though Enoch's life on earth was brief in comparison with that of his father and his son, nonetheless, it's an amazing stint of time. And those 300 plus years were given to walking with God, 
to righteous living in the midst of a terribly evil pre-flood world that was destroyed precisely because of its wickedness. And not only that, but Enoch served as a prophet for over 300 years, preaching the unpopular, unwelcome message of coming judgment. If you go to the book of Job, you have a couple of those eight or nine verses in the Bible that talk about Enoch. Did I say Job? I meant Jude. I heard myself say that. In Jude, verses 14 and 15, right before the book of Revelation, verses 14 and 15 records these words. And about these also Enoch, in the seventh generation from Adam, prophesied, saying, Behold, the Lord came with many thousands of his holy ones to execute judgment upon all and to convict all the ungodly of all their ungodly deeds which they have done in an ungodly way and of all the harsh things which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. You think judgment is ever a popular message? No. But Enoch was a prophet of God. He was not a wimp. He was not some wilting flower. He kept on prophesying for over 300 years. But the thing that Enoch is most famous for is what? He what? He didn't die. He didn't die. As described here in the book of Genesis, Enoch walked with God and he was not for God took him. God translated Enoch to be with himself without going through physical death. We know that because of the way Genesis 5 reads, because every one of the others in Genesis 5 that you read about that live such long lives, like long lives, ended with the words what? And he died, and he died, and he died, except for Enoch, where it says, and he was not, for God took him. This understanding is confirmed by Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 5, which says, By faith Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death, and he was not found because God took him up. Scriptures don't say exactly how it happened. You, just, you can speculate all you want to, but the Bible doesn't say. Maybe God took him up in a whirlwind like he did Elijah. I mean, what a way to go. Or maybe he was just walking along and all of a sudden, poof, he was gone. So you can speculate about it, but it's not speculation to say that in a flash, in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, his perishable body put on an imperishable body. Just as we will when the Lord returns, according to 1 Corinthians 15. Now we've already made some mention as to why Enoch was taken away. Namely, the character of his life. And Hebrews 11.5 is also very explicit in exploring this. It gives us two specific reasons why Enoch was taken. First, because of his faith. And second, because he pleased God. Faith and pleasing God are just opposite sides of the same coin. But it's helpful to examine each side. The fact that Enoch was taken because he pleased God refers to Enoch's walk with God, as mentioned back in Genesis 5.24. Walked with God and pleased God mean the same thing. But this metaphor of walking, it reveals how Enoch pleased God. You see, walking with another person 
suggests that there's a mutual agreement between the two, right? The prophet Amos, in Amos 3, verse 3, he said, Do two walk together unless they've agreed to do so? Well, the answer to that is what? No, they don't walk together unless they've agreed to do so. So you see, it's impossible to walk together unless there's a mutual agreement. What do you have to agree on if you're going to walk together? Where you're going, for one thing. Yeah, yeah, that, that's one of the requirements you, you, to agree on the destination. You cannot walk together and go in separate directions. It just doesn't work. If you wives have ever taken your husbands to the shopping mall, you know that's true, right? Because you're walking into the dress shop and he's on his way to Bass Pro. Okay, you're not walking together. You've got to go to the same destination in order to walk together. So he's heading in God's direction to the same destination and following the same path. But there's another requirement in walking together. You've got to not only be traveling to the same place on the same path, you've got to go what? At the same speed, the same pace. That's right. The same pace. Enoch was in step with God. What does Paul tell Christians to do in Galatians 5.25? Keep in step with the Spirit. That's right. Keep in step with the Holy Spirit. So Enoch's walk with God produced two wonderful things, fellowship and righteousness. I mean, when two people walk together to the same place on the same path at the same pace, for 300 years, they're in fellowship. Very much so. And that's the primary meaning of walking with God. Fellowship. That sweet communion with our Heavenly Father. And then matching God stride for stride along the path of life while headed for the city of God. That also produced in Enoch a righteous walk. The word righteous or righteousness simply means conforming to a standard and Enoch lived his life conforming to God's standard. I mean, in order to walk with God for over 300 years, you've got to be willing to do what God says do and live the way God wants you to live. And Enoch did just that. So he pleased God. And thus, God took Enoch. Now, the other side of the coin, the primary side that so pleased God, he decided to take Enoch, was Enoch's faith. Hebrews 11, verse 5 again says, by faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death, and he was not found because God took him up. What's interesting is that in the Old Testament, the Old Testament nowhere says Enoch had faith. The Old Testament doesn't say that, but the inspired author of the book of Hebrews says that was his primary characteristic. Faith and a righteous walk with God, those two are just inseparably joined together. You see, faith precedes and produces the walk that God wants us to have. And it's this statement about Enoch's faith that leads up to the great statement that the writer of Hebrews has been leading up to in Hebrews 11, verse 6, which says, And without faith it is impossible to please God, for he who comes to God must believe that he is, 
and that he's a rewarder of those who earnestly or diligently seek him. And notice that the author of Hebrews does not say that without faith it is difficult to please God, or that without faith it is extremely hard to please God, or without faith you have to work extra hard to please God. No, he says categorically it's impossible. You cannot please God without faith. I mean, without this faith, we're all under the wrath of God. And as Christians, we understand that it's by grace we've been saved through faith. And this not from yourselves. It's the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one can boast. But the emphasis here in Hebrews 11, verse 6, is on this day-to-day practical faith which is necessary for anyone, especially believers, in order to please God. In other words, if we're not living a life of faith, we can't be pleasing God. We can't have God smile on our lives without faith. So the question that we must pose and which the text answers is, what is this faith that pleases God? What is it? What's it like? And the answer is twofold. It is a faith that believes, first of all, that God exists. Haven't we been studying something about that in Sunday school? And secondly, it's a faith that believes that God rewards those who diligently seek Him. (coughs) So God's smile is only upon those who believe that He exists. Now that is far from a given in our culture today, right? I mean, you go back to 1956 when President Eisenhower assigned that uh, where in God we trust would be our national motto. Do any of you think that if that were presented today for the first time that it would be signed today? No, absolutely not. That tells you how far we've fallen as a nation and how how far our culture has changed. But God does exist. In fact, our modern culture doesn't even do as well as demons do. Because there is not a demon in the universe that is an atheist. There are no atheistic demons. Why? Because they all believe in God. They all do. James says that. The demons believe and they shudder, they tremble, all right. So we must believe in the creator God of Genesis 1 who spoke creation into existence in sequence one note at a time until all of creation stood in marvelous harmony. We must believe in the personal creator of Psalm 139 who knit us together in our mother's wombs. We must believe in the miracle-working God of the Old Testament We must believe in the God that saved his people by rolling back the Red Sea as with a a squeegee over a wet floor and sent coveys of quail into Israel's camp so thick that you could just grab them right out of the air. And in the morning he spread that sweet manna like cake frosting on the ground. This God who parted the Jordan River so that its bed ran dry down to the Dead Sea. And then he brought down the walls of Jericho. We must also believe in this massive God of the New Testament as revealed in Christ the Son. You see, Jesus, Jesus is not a revelation of a greater God. Jesus, rather, is a greater revelation of God. 
He's the seeable, visible explanation of who God is. And Jesus said, if you've seen me, what? You've seen the Father, right. And Enoch's great faith, which led him to walk with God and to please him, lies behind this final component of a faith that pleases God. Because once we believe God exists, we must also believe that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. And isn't that some food for thought? Isn't that an evaluation that we need to do of our lives? How diligently are you seeking God? Is it something you just do nonchalantly, or is it the driving force behind your life? Those who diligently, earnestly seek God. And Enoch was sure that God would be a rewarder. I, I think that's implied in his message of judgment when he said God's judgment was going to come on ungodly sinners. I think he believed that the opposite side of that was true as well, that God would reward the godly. He knew that God would reward and bless him. But here's the big point, folks. Enoch lived in what kind of times? Incredibly wicked, sinful times. Our times are much like that. Maybe, though, not to the point that it was in Enoch's time or Noah's time. But Enoch lived in dark, hostile days that did not harmonize with his faith, and life became so inhospitable that finally in the time of Noah, it says in Genesis 6, 11 through 13, now the earth was corrupt in the sight of God. The earth was filled with violence. God looked on the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their way upon the earth. So God said to Noah, the end of all flesh has come before me, for the earth is filled with violence because of them, and behold, I am about to destroy them with the earth. But Enoch resisted the sinful pull of his culture, and he walked with God for over 300 years. Which tells us what? In the midst of our sinful culture, we can walk with God still. It's not an impossibility. Enoch is an example that we need to follow. He set his goal on the city of God, on God's place. He walked the same path, striding in step with God's pace. 300 years of faithfulness, that's being faithful over the long haul indeed. And his son, Methuselah, you know what's interesting about Methuselah? 969 years, he died the same year as the flood. Do you know what the name Methuselah means? You, you, can, you can study it. Uh, uh, some call it the dark man or the spear man. But when you look at each individual part of Methuselah's name, there are many scholars who say his name literally means after his death, it will come. So many scholars believe that Methuselah died and then the flood came. And that's what his name meant. After death, so it will come. Just an interesting side note. 
But why was Enoch able to walk with God in the midst of that kind of world? First of all, because he believed that God existed. Do you? I pray that you do. That he exists in all of his creative and personal power. And secondly, because he believed God rewarded those who earnestly seek him. Enoch was sure that God would bless him and reward him. And as a result, there was great pleasure in heaven. And God took him. Will there ever be a time, I mean, we read about Enoch, we read about Elijah. Will there ever be another time where God takes people without them experiencing death? When the Lord returns and those who are upon the earth and have been faithful and are in Christ, they too will be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye. And maybe Enoch is the Old Testament type of those who are faithful to God who will not see death in that respect. Well, that same lesson is there for us today. Our culture is so much like the culture that Enoch and Noah lived in because everyone today seems to be doing what's right in their own eyes, not what God says is right. Many in our, many in our world call evil good and call good evil. And God's not going to put up with it forever. And that message of a coming judgment that Enoch prophesied of will so come again. But just like Enoch, we can still walk with God if we believe he exists and that he rewards those who diligently seek him. The question is, do we truly believe? And are we earnestly, diligently seeking God? I pray that you are. We come to a time of decision today. If you've been seeking a relationship with God, you find that relationship through his son, Jesus. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. Jesus is the bridge to the Father. He's the bridge to eternal life. He died to save you from your sins. His blood cleanses you from your sin. So you place your faith in him as the son of the living God in order to have your sins forgiven and to receive the gift of eternal life. You need to believe in God. You need to repent of sin. Confess your faith in Jesus. Be immersed in water, at which point God forgives your sin and places in, within you the gift of the Holy Spirit. And then you live a life of faithfulness. Now, if you've already done that, and you're looking for a home congregation, we'd love to have you be a member here at New Hope if you're looking for a home church. So if you have any decisions you'd like to make today, maybe just a decision to come forward and request prayer or to receive the support of brothers and sisters in Christ, we'll pray with you, whatever. You can meet me down front as we stand and as we sing.